0: Let's not worry about what's normal. Everyone is different. I think I feel better already. He's all business, isn't he? Why is it so hard to just enjoy things? never expect him to be any other way than what he is. Nobody knows what I'm doing. Good for Mystique. Are you being a concerned daddy? I just want to make sure you're aware of that.
1: What's your title here? I didn't think it
2: through. That's,
0: That's honest. This never happens. Much. It never happened. Welcome to Mad Men Men, the weekly show where we discuss a show that used to come out weekly. Each week, we take a close look at, and I can't, I can't, I can't talk. I'm too full from Thanksgiving, and it's just. I'm healing over. Okay, I'll try it again. Each week, we take a close look at an episode of the AMC series, Mad Men, which ran from 2007 to 2015, gearing our conversation around the conversation the show is having about snobby French films from the early 60s. And uh, I have a couple people with me here who make watching Mad Men truly great. But first, I got to ask him, uh, why can't Will Ashton have salt? (laughs) Because we love him.
2: Hmm. Well... I like that you instantly dated this episode, not even a minute into it. Because this is going to thirty
0: seconds. I say,
2: this isn't even gonna come out until close to Christmas, right? Who knows? Yeah, I mean um, I don't even know. But
0: they'll know that we did this around Thanksgiving.
2: There you go. Yeah, today is Black Friday. It is November twenty-fifth, twenty twenty two, and it is approximately twelve oh six PM Eastern Standard Time, just so everyone knows exactly what's happening.
0: Thanks, Will. That was really uh, helpful of you. And uh while we've been having fun, me and Will just goofing off and chatting over here. Uh, it sounds like Michael's in his office playing with paddleball. I, I mean, I hope that's paddleball. Maybe I'm just hearing things. Uh, oh, oh, hey, Mike. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, the best, Mystique. the best,
1: the best part of this episode was that visual gag. I will say that. And Will, I take offense that you dated mm. this podcast with uh, East Coast time because two I'm of okay us are it. in the West Coast. I'm okay with it, it though. This Mad is a Man West Man Coast podcast. Place.
0: No. No. Mad Men takes you, place in New York.
1: John, I know you want to seem more important than you are. Okay, why don't you tell the folks where you are? Okay, where is the Internet, there California, Jonathan? <laughs>
0: the san francisco bay area i don't understand what this is i thought you were gonna say like oh i'm from the east coast originally so i'm not really one of you 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 grew up in the west coast mike and so i'm not real
1: i guess that's that is true i'm on the i'm I'm the only true west coaster i've never lived in the east coast time zone
0: you adopted me and i appreciate it wow you know kind of like somebody adopted peggy's baby yeah not her sister Mm -mm, no she was uh about 20 months pregnant um and as we saw in that uh in this episode oh yeah so before we talk about this episode the new girl which is episode five of season two mike we missed you last week when we talked about three sundays which is uh one of the best episodes of the season probably i think and uh which for me is a big deal because i don't like a lot of episodes in season two that much but mike did you like the episode as much as uh will and i did we had a fun convo
1: yeah, I really like Three Sundays just with the way it's framed. I think it's super fun that they, you know, span three weeks in this in this and but focus so much on Peggy. Um, also, mm-hmm. I do love some like religious allegories and and uh, themes. John knows this, but that is n- no longer part of my life, but a part of my background. So I really emphasize uh, or empathize with with Peggy's character of having to be forced to go into like the church world and also. I just fucking love me some Colin Hanks. Like, put him in more things, and I will just mm. watch it. I, yeah, at this point, I'd rather say Colin the Tom. Yeah. I'll be honest.
0: My, my, uh, will and I were just talking about Colin Hanks' new Peacock show um, that he's in that uh, literally no one's watching. Um, and I don't even remember the name of it.
1: Well, that's because <laughs> it's on Peacock. If you want something to be successful, don't put it on Peacock.
0: I like "Say by the Bell. "Say by the Bell is really great. And that was a Peacock show. But then they canceled it after two seasons because it was on Peacock. So, yeah.
1: Peacock just sucks. It's yeah, the only streaming should... service I don't have.
0: You have Paramount Plus?
1: I have Paramount Plus.
0: You have Criterion?
1: Well, cri- uh, I guess not. But they have Criterion on HBO Max. Do you have, do you uh, have... Crackle Plus? I do not have Crackle Plus.
0: Do you have I'm Crunchy talking
1: Roll? about the main streamers. I do have yeah, Crunchyroll.
0: Well, I think we can leave it, leave it there. He has Crunchyroll, which that's all I needed to really know.
1: Gotta watch Chainsaw Man
0: that's right uh oh, unfortunately yeah. we i know unfortunately will doesn't watch uh, chainsaw man or any anime his roommate does though so yeah, we'll have to have have, don't his don't watch roommate anime on the show instead
2: yeah i don't watch anime that is the biggest character
1: confusion i've ever heard of like will you're just like you're such a movie guy it's such like a media mm. person and yeah i am quite shocked that you don't watch anime i would have paid, i would have bet a hundred dollars on it really a hundred bucks
0: yeah, I guess I guess Mike, you just don't know Willow as well as you thought you did because I, I definitely—I sure like—I've never questioned Will's dis-like disinterest in anime because I feel like I know him at this point, and it is a—I think like Will's literal like response if I ever like check out this anime—he's like I don't need that nerd shit in my life, <laughs> get out of here. Yeah,
2: I always I always make fun of John for getting into nerd shit like anime. Um <laughs> I literally. I quote this tweet a lot. Uh but I don't think I've ever said to you, like, this is my response about anime. Uh, anime is like cocaine. I have friends who are super into it, but I've seen what's done to their lives. And I'm staying far away from it.
0: <laughs> well, we're having all the fun. Um, so, OK, if we could start talking about New Girl, I, I did want new to girl. bring up something. The New Girl. It's Jess. Just- um, <laughs> it's Peg. <laughs> um, it's jo- uh Not Joan. Uh, it's uh, Jane. Yeah Jane, Joan and yeah. Jane. Jane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. call jane i almost i almost did jane as my uh, my my username for a video chat here mm. but uh i, I wish to i with. did
1: jane
0: <laughs> okay ken Grosgrove. um Account. yeah no i was gonna mention will yeah in episode one of season two yes you thought your your number one guess for who don sends the letter to sure was rachel Yep. And Mike and I had to sit back here and be like, oh, poor, ba- poor little baby, mm. poor baby will Mm-mm. no, no, it's not Rachel because he, we see her in this episode. Um, how did it feel to have your like guesses, your intelligence questioned by this episode of Mad Men?
2: Well, yeah, I was between they I say I remember I was between uh, Maggie and Rachel. I guess you I did, did mention
0: uh, M- Midge. Midge, Mitch, Mitch. Yeah, we don't have a Maggie in the show yet.
2: Uh whatever yeah. i don't know so I, I mean i guess one of my guesses or uh one of my hypothetical guesses is still on the table but yeah it does not seem to be rachel for what i've seen right. in this episode
0: and that's okay that's okay because we we got our rachel moment in this episode and also in this episode we find out what happened to peggy and will uh you were also wrong last week when you said that oh don doesn't know peggy was pregnant and I had to hold my tongue. I mean, if Michael had been there, he probably would have given the whole game away. <laughs>
2: probably would have been like, wait, oh, Will. Oh, <laughs> I What <would've> a blabbed. <laughs> well, you know what? Yeah. Uh, I'm actually kind of glad I got these two things wrong, only because it will finally dissuade you two from thinking I've watched this season in full. I was going to bring that up. I was like, oh, wait, Will hasn't actually watched this then.
0: So we finally can um, put that whole conspiracy theory to rest. Finally. There's still
1: like nine more things he'll he'll know about, but it'll be fun when we find the things he doesn't.
0: Right. Well, I it's will like, say. Oh yeah, I did know Don was a communist.
2: Uh, uh, the one thing I did know, and I the, one of the things I remember very vividly was the Don's arm in the sleeve, and then the car accident. So I did remember those. Now I kept waiting for like, what does that episode show up? And we got it this week.
0: Yeah, we're just we're uh, we're winding down, right? We're almost. Um, Yeah, we're getting close to the halfway point of season two already. We're kind of just trucking along here. Now, this episode came out August 2008, like the last one, and it was directed by Jennifer Getzinger. I think this is her first time directing an episode of the show, Um, and I'll double check that, of course. Uh, Also, Robin Vaith returns to uh, write the episode. We've seen her write plenty of episodes of the show so far, and yeah, I'm not seeing Jennifer Getzinger... Uh, directing any other episodes of the show. I think she was like working for the show, like in a different capacity, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, like, I think she was a script supervisor, but I could be wrong about that before they had her direct. Uh, She doesn't direct any other episodes of this season, but I think she is going to come back next season as director. So tidbit for you all there. Uh, Mike, one thing that Will and I talked about last week that you might find some interest in was uh, how the ratings have been going for the show uh, since season one. So, Will and I talked last week about how the highest-rated episode, in terms of viewership, not um, critical ratings, but in terms of how many people were watching Babylon, uh, so episode six of the first season, highest-rated so far and counting. Uh, In fact, I don't think any episode, including in season two, ever topped Babylon, uh, at least for what's uh, reported. There are some episodes in season one we don't have official ratings for. That
1: said- That surprises me.
0: uh, We- Doesn't it? (laughs) Um, But we do see uh, a big spike for season two, episode one, and it almost is as high as Babylon, but not quite. For those who think young, and then the ratings kind of plummet from there. Last week's three Sundays was the lowest rated of season two so far, and I think the entire season, which is wild to me because it's such a good episode. But I think it because it was so good, word of mouth really helped this episode, the new girl, because this one has the highest ratings of season two since episode one so that's my guess is that people were like oh yeah madman's back and we're in we're gonna do the twist again like we did last summer
1: yeah yeah. it just feels like this is where it's picking up right because you you don't have don being don in the beginning of this season he's trying to be good guy don and john i know you've talked about it a lot in the basketball podcast just how much you don't like don this season and i think all, i think a lot of people feel that way right you, you come to Mad Men for the intrigue to figure out who don is for these twists and mysteries and uh up till this point kind of feels like we've been eating our vegetables um but you know now we're starting to you know pour that yeah pour some butter on the vegetables makes it a little bit tastier Mm -hmm. and soon there'll be cheese on it and all of a sudden the main course is coming
0: which is wild because flight one is such a consequential episode but it is sort of like don being a paragon and Pete kind of being more the main character. So, yeah, there's something to that.
2: Well, I mean, you say that, Mike, but I feel like this episode has the scene that John would relate to the most, which is him in the car talking. And they're like, What do you like? He's like, I don't like anything. I can't relate to anything. Well, what will name something you like? Well, I do like the movies. And she's like, Oh, yeah. What movie do you like? And then, what <laughs> which film did she list, or what film did he list? I mean.
0: He said, uh, "La note." Yeah. The well, little... she talks about. Have you seen the foreign ones? They're yeah. so sexy.
2: And I feel like John could just sit there watching this for the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh time and being like, "Ah, oh, yes, the cinema." Thanks, Roll. You think I...
1: that's the one you relate to the most? I that you, scene. You don't think it's when J- when John said Don said, John says when Don says. See, I mean, John, John he's in him. John. I, says, I like. This. I like, keep, <laughs> keep mixing it up. I feel nothing. <laughs> that's John Negroni at the I end of every episode. Anything. Well, guys, this was a fun time, and John says, "I feel nothing." Mm
0: unfortunately that's a little bit too close to home there i'm just glad neither of you were like oh no the episode with john would relate to is when pete's like in this burn clinic <laughs> you know ruffling through pearl harbor being like am i gonna oh, use this to
2: believe me we're gonna talk about pete and his balls pretty soon but i, I wanted to kind of build up to that <laughs> build up to pete's balls okay
0: um sure in this episode uh we get a lot of bombshells we find out what's happened with rachel we find out what specifically happened to peggy Because if you recall, Peggy, we kind of jumped, right, to season two with no real sort of explanation for what happened. And the implication has been, oh, yeah, Peggy, you know, is uh, raising, like, her sister is raising her kid. But we get, uh, oh, maybe that's not really the case here. Um, I had a question, though, from the outset. And it's a big question because it impacts, I think, this season in general. And it relates to something Mike already brought up about how viewers, like, people watching this in 2008 – Maybe they didn't like Don as much, but I want to know: Do you guys like? Do you think? Do you guys think Don likes Bobby, Bobby Barrett? No, Mike no shaking way. His head. I, okay,
1: I don't think anyone in the world likes Bobby Barrett. I don't like Bobby Barrett. I hate Bobby is it, Barrett.
0: Is it because she's a feminist?
1: No, it's because she's like a cliche and ninety years
0: old. <laughs> ninety years old. Well, okay, okay. She yeah, just
1: I, she just feels so old.
0: <laughs> Is that it? Am I is wrong? that the only thing?
1: <laughs> no, I just... I, what do you, mean, you mean, like, an one old one soul? Things. No, I just think she looks wrinkly and old. No. Okay. Uh, okay. Especially, you know, she she meets yeah. Rachel, and you're just like, damn. Look what Don had. You know, you cut the Betty, and you're like, oh. what a beaut. And then you cut the Bobby Barrett, and you're like,
0: okay? You can, you can sense Rachel is just sort of like... <laughs> I guess I won this uh, relationship. Yeah. Although then she looks over to Tilden and is like, well, let's call it a stalemate. <laughs> Although I'm a I'm a Tilden fan. I, you know, he he can get it.
2: That's the uh, that's Rachel's new husband. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. Right she now? married a Jewish man. Yeah. He just seems I don't know. I mean, I, I do like the um, disposition between the two where Rachel went was seemingly kind of the most you know down the line you know straight and narrow kind of person. And Don turned
0: her off to Don ruined Gentiles for her.
2: I guess so. And uh, yeah, then we have, you know, Don having a, you know, I guess a thrice of sorts with Bobby, who is, you know, kind of wildly unpredictable, you know, the someone who's a lot more erratic and yeah, just the paths that they have diverged from.
0: Well, 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 you didn't answer the question for yourself. Do you think Don likes Bobby Barrett?
2: I don't think so. No. I think Don had some kind of fledging respect for her in their first episode together. But I think since then, he finds her just kind of a uh, uh, kind of a hassle. to something they kind of so deal then
0: with. Why, then why do you think he is doing what he's doing? Why do you think he is?
2: Because I think he's having an existential crisis. And I think he is in the point of turmoil. And she is giving him the attention and sexual desire that I think he is ultimately seeking for. Is it that simple? I I think it's harder
1: to get a boner when you have blood thinners and he's just pumped. He can get one and he likes to use it. And Bobby's the person who helps him get there.
0: And why Bobby then? Because that tells you that like clearly something about her is arousing him, that he's attracted to her for something. Right? So What is it?
1: I mean, it's the power thing, right? She's, she, she's a similar story of, she saw the person she wanted to be and became it. Um, you know, what's the job you want to do to like, pretend you're that person. She is breaking boundaries. I mean, I think a little bit of what he saw in Rachel of, you know, making something of yourself. Um, also, I think he sees another person who hates their spouse and recognizes himself in that. And, it's like, hey, I hate my wife. You hate your husband. Let's be hating them together, having sex over
0: here. And it was upon that, while watching this episode, that Michael said, "You know what? I'm going to propose to my girlfriend." And <laughs> <laughs> I join proposed to him before
1: the episode.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, the episode came out uh, long before. <laughs> um, no, I've
1: been engaged since August 2008,
0: bro. Wow, I didn't know that. When like I a was baby?
1: 13.
0: <laughs> um, but yes, congratulations. Uh, when Will, Will and I walked into the podcast studio, we were yeah. wondering why everybody was uh, you know, so excited. And Will was like, I think someone got a visit from the store. <laughs> yeah.
2: And then, you know, Mike was showing that ring around that he got. And uh, I don't know, you kind of broke tradition there. Usually you don't give yourself a ring when you get engaged, but... <laughs> but you know i, I mean,
0: did, give you guys the ring michael's giving us the finger right now but
2: uh i guess that's, <laughs> um i like that he did like the uh family stone poster style which i think is one. that's not a great film but i like that poster for the family stone where it's just like it's like looks like the middle finger but it's the ring finger you guys remember this at all uh yeah, yes um, uh, i was
1: too busy watching anime right that makes <laughs> sense
0: um i was gonna say yes but also like I want to, I want to ask, I've been beating around the bush a little bit. I've been asking you guys questions that aren't that relevant, right? I want to know what she thought of the episode proper, because I know for me, it, it's an episode I like, it's, I think it's good, but it's just not like mad men good to me. Um, so I'm kind of curious if you guys agree or disagree. I, it looks like Mike is not in his head. He's saying like new girl, more like old news.
1: I think you hit it right in the head, man. I think it's a fine episode. I love getting more of Peggy and Don's relationship. Um, but yeah, but it's by no means like when I think about, you know, the upper tiered Mad Men episodes, never do I think about New Girl. But for, a, you know, fifth episode in a season, you know, it's it's pretty good. Yeah, it's it's, it's like, only so much it's you functional. can do in the fifth episode. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it does certain things that, it. yeah, it's more setups um for things that are probably going to pay off later will i mean are you going to come in this uh, episode's defense or are you going to join the join the boys
2: um i mean i will say when i was watching the episode i was thinking this is probably the weakest of the the five i think five rate we've seen so far from season two
0: this is episode five yeah and and i don't think it's weak i think benefactor is the weakest
2: okay Well, I mean, when I was watching it, I I was thinking it was the weakest, but when I was reading from the Mad Men Carousel, I I gained an appreciation for it, namely in that I like that this episode is kind of mirroring the like three person structure that we saw in the previous episode in Three Sunday, except that instead of obviously being Peggy, Don, and Roger, it's a little bit more about like um, Peggy, Joan and this new girl, Jane, and how they're they kind of go through this uh, relationship as well as uh, with Bobby too. And I guess so before, but yeah, I just like the, I, I do like what the episode is saying about the complexities of women dynamics, both in life and in the workplace. And I think it's an interesting episode. I just don't think it really comes together as well as some of the ones we've seen prior to this, but it's, it's solid. Yeah. Certainly not my favorite though.
0: Yeah. I think, I think that's the thing with this episode. It, it, it leaves me wanting, you know, it it opens a lot of doors specifically with Jane and with Joan that, and then we don't go through those doors. And I think that's just a little frustrating. The nice thing is that we do get like some really undue attention on what's going on with Peggy. And it is information that I think is helpful to know, right. Of like what did happen and the season takes so long to get to that point of like the context that we need that, uh, Part of me wonders if it would have been better served earlier in the season. Now, the the, the big thing, right, is that Peggy clearly feels like she owes Don something, right? And in some ways, this is kind of her. I think changing a little bit. I think she gets a lesson from Bobby that is very interesting. That I think she applies in this episode. So, I do want to talk about that first. though what did we like about the episode? Right. Because I think there's more to like, obviously, than be less than satisfied with. Mike, is there anything specific in this episode that you thought like really just stands out that you were just like, this is uh, this is really good stuff?
1: Yeah, I think the wine are smarter to, to do the inter- intertwining storyline of Pete not being able to to have kids with Trudy and us finding out what happened to his, you know, unknown child with Peggy. I just think it's that's a very you know mad men way to twist the storylines and figure out what's going on um
0: the yeah, trudy I, is I, another I just, character to add to the mix that will was bringing up right yeah so yeah
1: someone who desperately does want that life but can't have it you know biologically and feels like well then what's the point i mean that's a really hard thing to feel to you know in, in that day and age especially when you believe in the in, in, in the social standards right and now mm-hmm you're not you're not up to them but i do really like pete's reaction not that i support his reaction when he finds out
0: that it's not him <laughs> and like, it's Trudy. good on you pete <laughs> for telling your wife what for <laughs>
1: yeah exactly but i i think that's a really i think it develops pete really well i think it's just a very pete fucking response you know he's only concerned about himself he's happy he's not the problem because he just never feels like a full man and for the first time you know, it's not his, you know, lacking of a man that's stopping him from achieving
0: something,
2: right? It's, yeah, it's he looks down and
0: it, He looks down in his dick and is like, huh, a thing like that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I was going to say, I think he needed to purchase a ticket to a certain film called Black Adam because he had realized that he's no Superman. Are, are, were you waiting for like a... <laughs> I was waiting for a, a, drawing, guys a, a shot? Yeah, there you go
0: oh brother this guy stinks it took me a second michael but i got there yeah Um, okay well uh what about what about you
2: will same thing with don
0: um yeah
2: yeah um no i mean i i definitely agree with what mike was saying i think the stuff i found uh probably most entertaining was the the Pete campbell stuff and certainly probably some of the most heartbreaking stuff was with Pete campbell but no, I, I agree. I think there there is something really fascinating about how this episode explores like there is this kind of um, weird desire and repulsion with having children. And like for most of the uh, characters that we see, like having kids is something that's sort of like uh, like a business expense in a weird way, like something that they that they kind of seek because it's something they feel they need to do. And Trudy is one of the few characters um, outside of maybe Peggy who could really be um a great mother and there is something just very heartbreaking and tragic about how at least at this point it seems like she may not be able to have children and that she is like the one character who is selfless and is willing to like you know love a child in the way that a parent should and just she is surrounded by all these characters including her husband that can seemingly have kids but not really have the responsibility to raise a kid because at heart, they're children themselves.
0: I think the thing I like the most about the episode is is the Peggy stuff because I enjoy seeing Peggy showing off her growth a little bit with Bobby, but then Bobby showing her really where she still has some like lessons to learn because Peggy is still acting like a secretary to Don, still extremely subservient to him. And the episode obviously examines like why that is. And obviously there's this, this, there's this weight, there's this debt that Peggy feels like she owes Don because as it turns out, he's the main driving force in really pushing her out of the, the mental health state that she was in after she had her baby. And then of course, allowing her that second chance to come back and pretend it never happened. But I do like that part of this episode's point is that that's not enough to have like a functional and like human relationship between Don and Peggy, because there are all those moments where Bobby is just like, are you seeing him? Are you in love with him doll? And, and, but he's like, no, like what? And, and Bobby, I think what's interesting about that is Bobby considers herself such a forward facing like feminist, a person who sees women and men as equal. She's like that kind of third wave feminist person. And, uh, which is represented by, really her behavior, her actions, the, the advice that she gives Peggy. And what I like a lot about this episode is that she can't see then that version of equality where a a man and a woman can be mentor and protege, because for all of her seeming progressiveness, she still wants to apply femininity within like the system, within the rules that like currently exist. And so I think that's an interesting wake-up call for her, that is yet to come uh so so that's something i really like about the episode because it allows peggy to take her advice and to start you know earning don's respect and you know standing up to him in a way that she wasn't before but she's able to do that without totally subscribing to bobby's worldview which is you gotta use your femininity gal you know what i mean and also joan it's mirrored with joan and jane who Joan is sort of like, I see what you're doing, you know, using your, your decol what is it called? Decolletage or whatever, in order to entice the the men of the office because Joan sort of is more pro- pragmatic than that. Joan is certainly somebody who uses her femininity to function in the workplace with an advantage that the, one of the few advantages she could, she seemingly can get with her gender. It is interesting how she still has like a, a code of honor right? At least now that she is in, engaged. So those are, those are the things that stuck out to me the most in terms of like what makes the episode good. But a lot of the other stuff, uh, I'm, I'm not as, as big of a fan of. I, I wanted to change the subject unless anybody had a reaction to that to tell me to go to hell, um, to, uh, start reading more books about feminism and to, to stop pretending, uh, as Will just texted me that I know anything.
2: Um, no, I mean, I, I you know, uh, I definitely, got a lot of the same things out of it i also appreciated that um there there is sort of a in this episode at least there's sort of like a femme fatale kind of energy to uh bobby and like especially with her scenes with peggy there is like this kind of like mystique but there's this inherent sort of sadness to her character that uh you know it it, it's something that is very like wanting but she she needs to have this kind of proper head on her shoulder she needs to kind of just she lives in this world where she feels like she kind of just has to push forward and often accept a lot of horrible things as she like kind of makes light of like a incident of domestic abuse at one point. Um, and yeah, it's just the, I think this is probably the most interesting I've found Bobby of the three episodes we've seen her in thus far, but yeah. same. Yeah. By far
0: as much as, as much as Michael might scoff at that and say, but she's old. Um, Yeah. I think she's pretty interesting here, Uh, but I still hate her a lot i don't like her She's yeah i annoying. hate her i
1: just don't like her and yeah I, I agree with her with what you guys were saying and i just want to say um talking about like peggy and respect from don i do like that the episode ends with her you know reminding him not just about the money but then saying thank you don and Miss mr draper um
0: yes but yeah exactly it, not like a secretary exactly
1: but anyways
0: I had to bring up the comedy of this episode because it's finally coming when, when Mad Men just lets itself be all goofy. Uh, we have, of course the, we've already mentioned mm-hmm. some of it. The, the, the match cut that Michael mentioned with the paddle ball, which is just, it's, it's art is what it is. I mean, forget the French new wave. Uh, that is actual, you know, art, but also I, I just love like when Freddie Rumson, comes out after ken's comedic line of like i'm ken and he's genuinely wounded that jane doesn't know who he is even though he just introduced himself the day before and oh my gosh when ken when ken is standing there i'm trying to ask this girl out which by the way uh ken cosgrove is dodging such a bullet Uh, just based on the information presented in this episode alone um and i know will's going to balk at that because he thinks ken cosgrove is a hound and a half and he is but will is, does not recognize that we can fix ken uh, that he's he, he just needs our help will Ashen, um
1: just one thing at a time
0: <laughs> but uh jane jane is jane we can't we we can't do anything about that but Freddie Rumson, of course runs out and shows off his musical prowess which we were already aware of of course because uh, we saw him dance the twist uh, in last season. So we know he has rhythm. And so there was that comedic scene. there, There is, I know what Will wants to bring up with uh, Pete's choice of, of magazines.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, because like, um, I mean, obviously uh, he doesn't pick it. But yeah, when he's uh, going through the nudie magazines, he, it. <laughs> he he does briefly look at the the Pearl Harbor the. Uh, article or whatever that magazine and he lingers on it too long like it's only a few seconds i think but it's because too he's long.
0: confused he's just like i'm here I know. to give a sample i know so like what
2: but like he still looks at it a little too long for comfort like <laughs> is pete a sick enough fuck that he's gonna get his rocks <laughs> off on pearl harbor and it's like the fact that that's a legitimate question that can be asked of pete uh speaks more to pete than i think anything we've said thus far on this podcast but I-
0: I think that leads to my biggest laugh of the episode. It never fails is when Trudy Trudy, and him are fighting and, and Trudy comes over and she's just like I didn't think it through. And he's just like, that's honest. <laughs> uh, you guys are just staring at me blankly. There, I, I love that. Line to there whole, I get it. That whole conversation
1: is just really good with him and Trudy. It's just like I, you Trudy can't get help over, yourself yeah. with just being like you just can't help yourself just being like, at this point, becoming numb to the horrible person Pete Campbell is. And then just mm. being like, ah,
2: that's Pete. <laughs> uh, uh, Pete
1: I did forget about the now. Freddie Rumsen zipper Mozart. It's, it's so funny. Because what was it like to film that? Did, did they actually get him to like, does it actually sound like that? How many takes did it take? Did they have to go on post? was it written into the script or was that like they were I offset did, and he was just like, Hey yeah. guys, check this out. How do we add this in?
0: I did some Look digging I and do- I could not find an, an official. I'm sure there's an interview somewhere where Matthew Weiner yeah, probably explains it. My, what I like to think, and this is based on nothing. I like to think that literally they were like, we need, we need Freddie to run in, on run in here. And he had like noticed earlier that day when they dressed him, with his like Mad Men clothes and he had like done the zipper and was just like, huh, this could be it. Like this could be the scene. I, that's what I want to believe. Cause how do you, do, how do you write that? I mean, and Robin Bates is very talented, but still. That's like, uh,
1: you know, you've, have you heard Michael Schur talking about like the most mad he's ever been is when Chris Pratt said, like, I figured out what your issue is. You said, it says here that you have internet connectivity issues. It's like, those are just the kind of jokes you just can't write. It's just spur of the moment and it's perfect.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I want to go back to Rachel again. I know we already went through the Rachel thing and you all are heartbroken. The things between her and Don didn't work out, but I, I am kind of curious about something because she, she, w- what do you think propels her to go over to Don in that moment and not just leave? Because every time I see the scene, I keep thinking to myself, wouldn't she just want to pretend she didn't see him because doesn't it hurt do you think it's because she feels victorious about how things turned out i, I don't know if i get that sense uh, i i get a little confused about this one
1: i just think she recognizes and respects what i think she respects and recognizes just what her and don shared was authentically so special and big to both of them that she can't just ignore it like she has like she sees don she just knows like i'm going to have to go over there even if it is to get closure and have this be awkward, like Dawn's not somebody I can see and just blow past. Like what? this has to be, to be acknowledged.
0: Well, though I keep coming back to like, she married Tilden and I'm um, obviously we're all Tilden stands, but you got to think, uh, uh well, will we'll, we'll deny us that, but I know I, I have the receipts, I have I, the text messages.
2: I don't vouch for this, man. I barely know him.
0: but I I think you like the cut of his jib. I know I do, but I I think that he's just like the safe sort of like nice person, probably very kind, but I just wonder if she sees Don and she's just like, she wants that spice again. She wants that drama. She wants that mess. And she thinks if she goes over there, she's going to like be able to fantasize about Don, you know, when she's with Tilden.
2: You don't think that she is kind of wants some like closure from that? like there was like a moment I mean that's what Mike
0: keeps saying right, and that's like, like what responsible people who are nice and like aren't well, evil are I saying I, I mean
2: I mean I feel like this season in particular it, the show by and large is focused on like characters trying to move forward into a new future but being hung up by their past and being unable to really like progress forward in full because they, they're burdened by the sins of their past and I feel like you know obviously it's happening a lot with Peggy here it's happening with Dawn Uh, in the, you know, like there's like, you know, the new girl and like, you know, this idea of like the next generation with kids and stuff. But then also with Rachel where she's has moved on, like she's, you know, put Dawn behind her and now she's going to settle down and marry this guy, even though if he's, you know, kind of straight lace and boring, he's, you know, stable and reliable and someone that she needs. But, you know, there is that part of her that I think does kind of lust and yearn for what her relationship was with Dawn, even if it was erratic, even if it was unstable, even if it was something that, you know, uh, brought a lot of heartache and pain and confusion to her life. There is, mm-hmm. I think, maybe something to that relationship that, at the very least, I think she wants kind of like that, you know, that bow to be tied and just kind of be able to emotionally move on because I don't think she really had that closure yet in her life.
0: Now now that you mention uh, it, I, I do wonder too if she is kind of curious about whether or not Don has moved on as well, because she sees Bobby Barrett and she probably sees those wedding rings that they're both married. But I think like the police officers in the drunk tank, they don't know that they're not husband and wife. They're cheating on their spouses, right? So I wonder if that's what she's trying to. She's investigating a little bit. She's like, oh, did did Don move on too? And who is this person that he moved on with? And I think maybe that curiosity just overwhelms her. But of course, she quickly sees as she's with, like, as she talks to them, she's like, oh, uh, clearly this is not, you know, like what I thought it was. Don is still with his wife because, as you recall, in season one, he was like, I'm going to leave her. I'm going to leave her, and he doesn't. So yeah
2: i'm pretty i, sure, I also think I, I, oh, th- I was gonna say i'm pretty sure he even said fuck them kids i'm getting out of here
0: yeah <laughs> so yeah sorry go ahead Mike. i'll, I'll provide for them maybe
2: <laughs> i was just gonna say that i admit
1: that also my read on the situation and uh could be informed by having seen the entire series like if it was my first time watching through it, i think it is really plausible to, to to watch that scene with hope and think like oh maybe she does miss dawn and maybe this will still be a thing because up to this point right i think the audience is really behind Rachel and like Rachel is the, is the best. And you kind of, you know, you still don't hate Don enough to not want him to be happy. So you're like, this is the best thing maybe. So I don't know.
0: All right. What do you guys think of the thing that Bobby says to Peggy? We spend a lot of time in Peggy's apartment. I love Peggy's apartment. She's making a real go of it, but we see that we hear Bobby tell her, look, don't be a man, be a woman. And, I, I'm a little conflicted about this advice because I think it's interesting. It is sort of like, yeah, it, you know, feminism isn't just women and men being the same. It's them being equal. Right. But it's also I, there is something to like knowing who you are and your your role and your identity. And I don't know. What, what did you think of that advice? Because I could see people coming away from it, maybe saying there's something about it that isn't that it can be a little bit toxic, too.
2: I mean, I think the advice that she gives is kind of it's like twofold in that, um, you know, if it was just like she gave bad advice and there was like a scene where Peggy was just like, listen here, this is the future. And, you know, yada yada, it would have been a much lesser scene than what it is, where it's like she's like some of the advice she's giving is, you know, fairly progressive and pretty mindful and, you know, lived in experience where like she's saying, like, you know, you can't be one of the boys. You have to be a woman, but that doesn't mean you can't excel in their field. Like you just kind of have to take the things that make you different and, you know, use that to your advantage, um, which, you know, in a broad sense is pretty good advice. But yeah, she's also so helped to these old fashioned standards of what femininity is and like how to progress in these fairly outdated and, you know, retrograde ideas. And yeah, you know, she just can't, like we said, accept that Peggy would be able to move forward in this company based on her talents, based on her you know, forthrightness based on what she can bring as, you know, uh, a creative. And it's something that I think just kind of eats at Bobby more than teaches Peggy.
1: I think the advice John suffers just from the same like thing that you were speaking to earlier about just her lack of perspective and experience being so tied into who who she's been her whole life, where she believes it's good advice. And I think there's a, a little bit of a nugget in it of maybe like but, you know you you could listen to that advice and think she's saying like you know don't pretend to be a man and act like they do just be yourself i don't think that's actually what bobby's saying right bobby is saying like use your femininity and you know you know manipulate your way like use what you have to your advantage is what i do and look how um successful i am but then at the end of the day, that isn't equality and that isn't what you know feminism feminism as we know it becomes in you know the 80s 90s and where we currently are right
0: Yeah, exactly. Because it reminds me of how Don says to her in the episode Indian Summer last season, you know, you presented like a man, now negotiate like one or whatever. Remember what he says there? And he's sort of, he's looking at her and being like, you need to act like a man in order to blah, blah, blah. And I think this is the first instance where Peggy sees Don is not infallible. Look what he just put me through. He is uh, clearly not this perfect person. And there are other people that I can look to and learn from, right? I mean, she learns from her advertising books too. She's not just getting all of her knowledge and mentorship from Dawn. She is, you know, as Bobby says, like you made yourself a copywriter. And I think that self-respect is something that Peggy, she's been frustrated this season because she doesn't have that respect yet. She's trying to get it. Like they, you know, there's the scene in the first episode where they're like, where Freddie is like, Peggy, you know, can you go do this, you know, and kind of orders her around. And she's like, and you clearly, she's not happy about that. She's not happy when the guys sort of exclude her. She's not happy when Don kind of disrespects her and looks down on her. And yeah, I think, I think there is something there to her realizing that, yeah, I don't have to, I don't have to do everything Don says, because clearly what he values isn't subservience. What he values is fairness. And I think that when Peggy comes to him and is like, Yeah, that's a lot of money to somebody like me, I think there is a reason he doesn't re- respond poorly to that. He's just like, Yeah, you're right. You know, because he does, he holds fairness as a value, even if he doesn't always consistently abide by it. He's a very hypocritical person, but I think that is what gets him to respect you is when you actually show some form of like holding him accountable in a way that makes sense to him, I guess. And it's something that I don't think Becky, Betty always manages with him for reasons that are very complicated. That this episode doesn't really get into. We only get one Betty scene, which uh, oof, yeah, that's a, t- that's a tough one.
2: But I mean, we were kind of dancing around it, but is his potential infatuation with Bobby because she's sort of just that anti Betty, like she's able to be self-reliant, be the pants in a relationship. And kind of be someone who is able to excel without you really having to feel that like, I don't know, I guess that's the only real thing I can really see outside of just, you know, like a physical attraction to one another that um, and the power dynamic that I can see with Bob or uh, with Don being interested in Bobby.
0: Well, Rachel was kind of like that. But then here's the difference, right? Rachel isn't the one who made a move bobby always instigates and i think there's just something happening with don where he feels less guilt maybe when she's the one who's instigating and has the power to do that and i think it speaks to something psychological about don that we don't learn until like way but, later in the show but the show does pay this off really really well of like what kind of emotional insecurity is happening with don with women like bobby so i do want to i do want to delay that because but, i know mike knows what i'm
2: talking about uh, but uh uh, yeah, only I, I do want to kind of push back, back a little bit, but only because that first little like, uh, affair that they have in the car when he gets back, it's, I feel like that's the most guilty we've seen him so far because he like uses the soap to wash out his mouth in a way that I feel yeah, like yeah. he hasn't really he done does, that with he Rachel. He does feel
0: guilty, but I think he feels less guilt than if he made the move.
2: I guess so, but I just, I don't remember him doing anything like that with when he was with Rachel.
0: Well, yeah, because Rachel had it going on.
2: Okay. I'm just saying, I mean, to, to to kind of counteract what you were saying there a little bit. Well, th- that's the thing. I think it's it's less maybe because the word guilt
0: to, w- to your point sort of connotates like, oh, I'm not disgusted by this. I think he is disgusted by it. But I think, again, his value is fairness. And I think he doesn't he doesn't feel that culpability still when it's just being thrust upon him. He has no no agency. Right. And so he doesn't uh, feel like he has he's responsible. Right. I think that's more of what it is. He's still disgusted by it, but clearly he's also turned on by it and kind of wants it to keep going on, but he won't initiate. She's the one who calls his office. She's the one who puts a move on him in his office and invites him to the bar and starts yeah, nibbling locks, on his
2: ear. It's her idea to go right. to the beach. She's the one that locks the door, I think, in mm-hmm. that last episode, yeah.
1: It's hard to argue with John about these things so when he's madman, omnipotent. Just He's everywhere. He's in season two, season seven. He knows. He knows all.
0: I'm in the Quora forums answering questions. About, <laughs> um, I'm sorry, I could be a little bit, uh, I I could be a little snooty, but uh, you know, it's because I watch too many French films from the '60s. I wanted to make sure we talked a little bit about Roger and Joan before before we ended. I, I mean, you know I think it's only fair that we give
1: them the same amount of time that the show gives them, which is, I think, yeah. allotted. We we give them about thirty-seven seconds.
0: Roger gets one scene, I think. I think just one. And, uh, Joan, Joan gets like a few minor things like with Jane and everything. And I, I don't think we'll be able to talk more about that until the season progresses further. But yeah, you know, we get a little bit more of uh, the closure between Roger and Joan or at least like some kind of closure that, uh, Rachel was looking for maybe, uh, as will theorized, I think, interestingly, because Joan is sort of like coming to him. And I think, I think Joan is still kind of bitter about their relationship and seeing, herself is just like another mistress to him and Roger pushing back against that and being like, No, you, you meant something to me. And he gets that nice little jab of like a relatively young love. <laughs> and uh, you know, the fact that the guy is like 34. He's like, Well what's what's wrong with him? And we we haven't really gotten to know this guy. Uh we we will, but uh he certainly we we saw him once and it's gonna be a different actor, uh, as I spoil Ashton, I don't want you to get too confused when you see him. But uh we 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 will probably have to put a pin on that, I guess. But yeah, any thoughts on the Roger Jones scene?
1: I still don't think the writers at this point knew what they were doing with Joan. And so I just find her so boring compared to how I find her later. And I know that's such a cop out to a watch along podcast, but it's just how I feel. Having seen the show, Joan sucks so much right now compared to how interesting
2: she gets.
0: Well, do, do you agree with that? And and I mean, I know you can't say will if uh, she gets interesting later, but uh, do, do, do you think she, do you find her boring?
2: I don't find Joan boring, but I don't know what's to come. So I mean, yeah, maybe it's a curve. Yeah, so I don't know. I like I like Joan. I think she's she, a, she just yeah
1: she just has two notes, right? She you just you get like two lines of her being a bitch in the office, and then you get her crying and having this weird thing with Roger, and it's always the same conversation. I don't know. Sorry, that's I mean, enough- sometimes she goes to she goes to Paul, right, and that's
0: it. I like I like the part though where she like shoes everybody away, like that little physical acting that Christina Hendricks does, where she's like, "Get away," you know, like when the the, the ladies are all swarming Don's office. Those aren't wedding bells, Miss Holloway. Uh, I don't know. I, she she has such a a way about her that I think is very fun and whimsy whimsical. Um, I do yeah.
1: like Christina Hendricks' portrayal of the character. I, I that's not my gripe. My it's it's that's grief, grief, gripe. I just don't like Joan's well, characterization up to this point. I okay. mean,
2: to to Mike's point, I do feel like Joan, at least in this episode, feels like kind of a, more of a means to end. Like she just serves like the ultimate metaphor of the story rather than feels like a character with full agency and with full, you know, autonomy over the story and what who she is in the office place. It's just kind of like she serves this metaphor about like, you know, the future and kind of, you know, as trying to, uh, you know. having some sort of inherent value in the marketplace and someone that, you know, very much values her sexuality, very much uh, values her femininity and having, you know, throughout the season kind of having that fear of being aging out. And and I'm wondering if that's going to tie into like something with Don, where we, you see him also fearing like this idea that he's getting older, fearing that he'll kind of lose that mojo that he has. But uh, I guess we'll find out you guys would know better than me, but I'll find out later.
0: Now that you mention, I wonder if it's the show sort of foreboding, you know, because there's the point where Trudy says, what is this all for? And Trudy apparently got the first step of what she wanted, you know, the marriage to a wonderful guy, right? And, And Joan is earlier in that process, and I think she's under the impression that it's smooth sailing from here on out. But the episode kind of supposes that not really, and that maybe Joan is counting her chickens before they hatch.
2: Yeah, I just I mean, we've already mentioned that like Peggy and Don throughout the season are kind of equals to one another in some weird way. Like they see some sort of, uh, you know, mutual respect is gained and Don clearly values Peggy more than the other creatives because he sees a little bit of himself in her and he sees something that, you know, hasn't been brought to workplace, something that brings excitement to a field that he's kind of losing his luster in, in some ways. But I also feel like with the, with Jane, obviously there's some stuff going on where Joan obviously sees a younger version of herself in Jane. And rather than respect that she's kind of repulsed by it and push away from it and like, you know, button up your, your blouse. And like, you know, like she has this inherent disrespect in the same way that she did uh, with Peggy with uh, season one and just like, yeah, she is. I just think it's like stuff that's like interesting as far as like the overarching story of the narrative. But like Mike was say, I don't feel like it gives Joan a lot more to the play with that we haven't seen from other episodes at this point.
0: Can I, can I say something very honest about Jane? She triggers me. You know what it is? What's and that? neither of you would fully understand, I don't think. She is such a girl of the South. And I don't think the show is like super explicit about that at any point. But there is the biggest clue is when she's like, it's like being in tall cotton. But I mean, culturally, personality wise, she is such a Southerner. And that's, that's, you know, these are the types of people I grew up with, right? And there is that sort of very nice, but like very uh, manipulative under the surface that uh, I'm obviously broadly generalizing and stereotyping quite a bit, but I don't feel bad because of what Southerners put me through. Um, not specifically Southern girls, but like guys do this too. There's just like this, uh, there's something about them where you're like, you're very nice on the surface, but like, there's just something kind of like you were really like after something kind of sinister on the side, aren't you? And so, yeah, Jane kind of, whenever she comes on screen, I'm just like, who are you? I don't know you. I don't trust you. Um, not how I feel like with uh, Tilden. Uh, Tilden I just get the sense of like he's true blue like I, I'd do anything for that man I'd lay down my life
1: who in the show besides Tilden doesn't want something sinister though do you, he
0: took his he took his gal to well, see a funny thing happened which is Trudy a great choice
2: Trudy has no ill objectives here Trudy just yeah, wants to
0: kid Trudy yeah. deserves she's such a sweetheart yeah. and she deserves nothing but the world
2: yeah um so daddy uh, yeah uh i still love
0: that line delivery uh
2: i was elated when we were uh in the office and learning about pete's balls and his history with his balls dropping and stuff i'm like oh good finally some much needed character development for Pete. speaking of
0: closure (laughs) uh he mentions that his his dad passed away in a very similar way to how don says you know tells the doctor in the first episode of the season how his dad passed away so there's a little there's some mirroring going on there too isn't there in terms of like both guys in the house. And I think it is intentional, right? Because we have the whole thing where Don finally tells Betty that his uh, that he has high blood pressure and he hasn't told her up until now. And then of course, I, what I like about that whole thread is that there are consequences for what happened. And that's now Betty knows his secret and now Betty is going to start sort of you know, withholding salt from him. And it's a small consequence, obviously, but it is something. It, it shows that like, Don wasn't able to get out of this entire situation 100% scot-free. Yeah, I remember when I
1: had my last affair and crashed the car, I couldn't have salt for a couple months. And boy, was I pissed. <laughs> what a punishment.
0: You really paid your you paid your dues, huh?
1: Yeah, I had to sneak salt. It was not fun. It was harder to sneak the salt than it was to continue the affair. <laughs> But you know what kept me going on that affair? was my buddy, Will Ashton, texting (laughs) me every other day. Affairs are awesome. Keep doing it.
2: (laughs) I thought you were going to say, you know what got me through it was Pepper.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Pepper is the name of the person. Yeah, yeah, that's
2: that's a joke I was going to build up with. Yeah, Pepper, (laughs) (laughs) of course, yeah. Um, Okay. Uh, Um, I did appreciate that the ending of this episode is sort of the mere opposite of Todd Salon's Happiness, a film I'm sure you both have watched. And loved like me. One of my favorite movies, Happiness. All
0: right. I think that's a good sign for us to move on to <laughs> trivia. I, I didn't I didn't have too much else. I mean, we already mentioned a lot of things. We didn't touch on them too much. But uh, yeah, I mean, there is the reveal that Peggy, that they haven't been, like the baby we've been seeing this entire season is Anita's because there's not like another baby in the house. And so the implication appears to be that Peggy's baby went for adoption because she was hospitalized and everything. And th- there have been little clues to this, like, throughout, but it's always something that always catches me off guard because I tend to forget, you know, when we see the babies in the season- in those episodes, you kind of have to play coy a little bit of, like, oh, yeah, for well, the little one. Because uh, the priest thinks that that's her kid.
2: Uh, in the book, uh, the Mad Men Carousel, I think he said that uh, Weiner and company were very deliberately uh, playing with audiences and, like, they were coy. Like, they, they wanted people to have that misconception for this reveal. Right. So, I mean, that... It, it's understandable that you would forget. Cause I think that was deliberate on their part.
0: Right? Yeah. Because it's played so straight. Um, and it's, it's very well done. Good storytelling.
2: Oh yeah. I had another, I had
0: a theory, uh, conspiracy theory that I want you guys to disagree with. I think in this scene where Jimmy calls Don and wants to go see him and Don gets all freaked out, but then Jimmy shows up and it's fine. He's just like, Oh, I just wanted to thank you in person. I think he knows. I think he knows in this moment. That he's had that Bobby and Don are having an affair, but Bobby worked out something with him, similar to how they worked things out at Lutes. Because I there's just something very off about it. And Don senses that there's something off. Like, why would he go all the way to the office just to do that? And I think it's because he wants to see Don in person. He wants to see the broken arm. But you know, despite what Bobby says, I think the fact that Bobby disappeared, I think that he knows that Bobby has been seeing Don. Probably because Bobby's probably been telling him. And I think that he is just sort of like, oh, he's suspicious and wants the confirmation. And so that's my conspiracy theory. And I obviously, I can't say anything based on what I know to come. But I think that is like the coding of this scene. What, what, what do you guys think? Am I, should I go to hell? Um, should I stop watching the show and, and quit media entertainment criticism?
1: I, I, don't, I don't really think it's that um, crazy of conspiracy theory because I think that's the entire read of the scene you're trying to figure out, does he know or does he not? So I guess you're just saying you're on the camp that he does know. I don't think it's, uh, I think you're just picking up on what the scene is trying to tell you.
0: I like that response. That response is sort of like, oh, John, this isn't a conspiracy theory. You're just watching the show and, you know, doing the bare minimum. Yeah, I like that.
1: It's an amazing critique, though. You're <laughs> nailing it.
0: <laughs> Wait, so, uh, Will, are you, are you in agreement? Do you think that was pretty obvious? And I should just, you know.
2: Well, I, I mean, I don't think it's like, Uh, quite as overt as Mike is saying but I do think that we we saw from that dinner scene that Bobby's like the only one that can kind of turn Jimmy down and can kind of make him you know she's like she is his wife but she's also kind of like his makeshift mother and like you she's like the one person that can kind of just like make uh, she can make him kind of do whatever she needs him to do and I could see you know him getting all wound up but then her and like the elevator going up is just like look like just play it cool or whatever. And like, kind of was able to elevate him down and, you know, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's, it's in that scene, but yeah, I, I don't, uh, I don't dismiss it quite as readily as Mike does.
0: Last thing I had before trivia, I wrote in my notes, of course, Don has high blood pressure and needs to cut down on salt. He's been eating too much. Uts potato chips. All right, let's move on to trivia. Um, I deserve that, uh, that blank stares you guys shared. Um, okay. So according to the, the okay. So the commentary in season two, like the commentary track, they, it's not explicitly stated, but most of the commentators talk about having like a tighter schedule than normal for this episode, because they were behind in shooting at this point in the season. And so they needed to shoot the scene with Joan showing off her ring in one shot because they were like so far Behind, so apparently they had to like move this up a lot more. So it's kind of interesting that like the criticism this episode tends to get is like the things don't come together, and it seems to be that oh, like they kind of had to like insert some of this stuff uh, in order to like make the whole season work. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Maybe that's why the episode feels a little disjointed and addressing some of our concerns. Um, okay, the questions asked by the doctor uh, when when Peter is getting grilled about you know what. Uh, they're from an actual fertility pamphlet from 1960. So the question, the questions he's asking literally are like things they would ask in that time. So very good attention to detail. And according to Matthew Weiner, he actually knew the doctor who wrote the pamphlet. So he was like, literally like, you know, drawing that upon, you know, uh, probably what his parents were asking of like, why is our kid so weird? You know, we just get the feeling that he's going to make a TV show and cast his own kid as like this really weird kid. Um, I'm sure that's what happened um another piece of trivia here robin vaith is the one who wrote bobby's character and robin vaith we've talked about her She was the one who did like the birdies the like when um the bird scene where betty shoots the birds and everything uh she was also a co-writer on the epi- on the end of the episode uh she did a lot of reading on french feminism in order to write bobby's character and, uh, French feminism, uh, according to this trivia is, is, that women are just as smart and capable as men, but they are smarter than them and they should use their physical assets against them. Now, I don't fully really agree with that idea of French feminism as applied necessarily. I don't see it as sort of like, I think that they are framed as smarter than men in a very deliberate sense, like, but that's more like literary criticism that we don't have to get into. Um, I know Will has always said that he believes that, uh, you know, women are smarter than men and should use their physical assets against them because yeah, no response wash. Sure. Well, it's
1: just because women we went to college, you get more knowledge and we all went to Jupiter to get more stupider. <laughs> that is correct. Very
0: that true? is correct. Yeah. Um, a lot of people started cracking up on set when the cop brought up the legal blood alcohol level of 0.15%. Uh, obviously that's like, almost double what the legal limit is today in most states, which is 0.08. Yeah, I mean, I I love that whole, I love that cop in general, like his delivery. I was like, people's kids are on that street, sir. Like the way he's doing it. Uh, He he hammed it up, I loved it. Oh yeah, so Bobby mentioned something about uh, she's at a fat farm, but they weren't called fat farms in the 1960s. They're actually called milk farms back then, but the writers didn't think anyone would understand the term. So one of those rare moments where they actually try to do something like I think they purposely were like, eh, we got we to use the term, even though it's not accurate, just because for the sake of understandability, which I, I get, I, I don't think it's a big deal. It does tank the entire episode, though. Bring it down an entire letter grade. Yeah. Um, oh, here we go. Well, the bathroom scene with Pete, your favorite scene uh, that originally was not in the script. OK, you, you were almost going to hate this episode. Uh, mm. So they decided to shoot it while shooting the episode. Uh, they decided like out, you know, let's actually show this because like why not? And uh, Matthew see. Weiner
2: <laughs> let's see Pete just fucking get his rocks off, man.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, Matthew Weiner was sold on the idea because he knew the next scene was going to be Roger with the paddle ball. So it turns out that like that was a, f- a happy accident, as uh, certain directors. Would you say. know what
2: else are happy accidents?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for that one. <laughs> walked right into it. Uh, in the commentary track for season two, Elizabeth Moss says that John Hamm made her cry the way that he delivered his lines during the flashback scenes. And according to the director of the episode, Jennifer Getzinger, there wasn't a dry eye on set. So specifically the part where he's just like, forget this ever happened. Get out of here. Move forward. You know, that really toxic thing where he's just like, don't embrace your problems. Don't deal with things head on. Everyone was just like, oh my gosh, how sweet.
2: Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's, uh, I don't know. I That I, does kind of... Uh tie into like i was saying before this idea of you have to push forward but you're gonna always be haunted by your past and but i mean there's that one line he says where it's just like you'll be shocked by how much you don't remember it or whatever it's just uh,
0: it'll it'll shock you how much this never happened but i I feel feel like that's always
2: i don't know i was just gonna say i mean it just felt like don's still trying to like convince himself that that's the case with uh with his brother where he's yeah, like, well, he
0: says yeah his, which uh a lot of mirroring with 5g in this episode right. but also i mean with uh because he has the same conversation with uh adam but also i think that he when when he's saying this i think what's making people emotional is just that he comes through for peggy here and you know i think that there, there is something kind of emotional like what he's doing for her because clearly he is uh you know accepting her and want and sees the talent in her and values it and so yeah, I think that's really. Uh, I, I I think that that's what contributes to it,
1: especially when you look at you know Pete's dad dies and you know he goes to Don looking for that kind of mentorship and help and advice, and Don's like fucking go home, dude. You know, and he shows up for Peggy. So you mm. can just see just like the different levels of respect and effort that he'd go through. um Also, do you think John Hamm has ever used that line, especially like when back when he was having some issues with being an alcoholic, like. He was drunk and did something, and he looked at someone, and it was like, forget this ever happened.
2: Well, <laughs> you'd be amazed. I don't know how much you know about. Uh, I don't know how much you know about John Ham's past, but I think there's certainly some things that he'd rather forget.
0: Dang. Okay. Well, uh, I, I didn't think we were gonna. <laughs> this is gonna become John Ham men.
2: Oh man. Um, Speaking but, of John Ham, <laughs> uh, Mike, did you see that interview that John Slattery did, where apparently? John Ham was like so attractive on the set of mad Men that people like men and women would just forget their lines looking at John Ham's face.
0: <laughs> and people have been posting I like did, tweets I did see that. random yeah <laughs> you could kind of see the confusion on their faces like, what's my next line? I love it. Um, a couple pieces of trivia left before we go. Uh, everyone cheered at the end of the read-through when Peggy calls Don by his first name instead of Mr. Draper, and uh, yeah, I mean, a little part of me cheered too. It was a pretty great moment and then the last piece of trivia here i don't have any context for this it just says the kids scarfed down the meatloaf during the shooting of the last scene i like to think that for they were like oh ours does have salt and they just ate it really quick or something i don't even know because this is kind of weird uh but apparently they were hungry i don't know
2: well i mean it, looks it good In the business, you kind of have to learn with time that like you're not really like during eating scenes, you're not supposed to like chow down unless the scene calls for it because you're going to be filming that scene, you know, four or five, six, seven times. They're still young buckets. Maybe they're just like, yeah, you know, food time. Meatloaf. I love meatloaf. (laughs) Let's dig (laughs) in.
0: I appreciate it. I really taught him
1: a lesson, though, when he reshot that scene nine more times. And it's like, well, you got to keep eating the same amount. Those kids were puking for days.
2: Yeah. Real cubic like, style. Who put the salt back on the table? We got to do this all over again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. Well, yeah. that'll do it for this episode of Mad Men Men. Thank you both for being uh, men shiz uh, with this episode. And uh, yeah, we'll be back next week for Maiden Form, which is episode six. And I forget what happens in Maiden Form, it's been a while. So, uh, uh, I have a feeling this is an episode I don't like as much based on my memories of season two. We'll see. We'll see. Let's hope for the best.
2: Let's hope for the best.